Hey everyone, before we get into today's episode, I want to extend a super special invitation. November 8th through the 11th, right here in Boston, Massachusetts, we're hosting Inbound 2016. It is our event where we bring together thousands of marketing and sales professionals from around the globe to come to one spot, share all the latest and greatest in terms of tactics, strategies, best practices, so we can all learn from each other. Over 250 sessions, some amazing keynotes, including Alec Baldwin, Anna Kendrick. It's going to be great. I have even better news for you. As a Growth Show listener, you get a free community pass to Inbound 2016. Just go to inbound.com to register and use the code PODCAST. That's capital P-O-D-C-A-S-T. We hope to see you at Inbound. crossroads and the future is completely within our control we're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time this is the time for us to just really take charge that's what revolutions do they enable the impossible would you ever want to leave google would your desire to learn push you to go beyond what is a great situation and start your own company. That's what happened to Amy Chang. We're talking with Amy today about her journey in starting a company, the values of networking as you're building a company, and how you build a world-class data product. I'm Kip Bodner, and this is The Growth Show. All right, so we're here in San Francisco with Amy Chang. Amy, how's it going? Good. How are you, Kim? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, I've had the, the pleasure of meeting Amy a few times. So before you were at a company, you were at Google Analytics, basically running Google Analytics, which is, you know, powers a lot of the data infrastructure of the web today, which is, which is awesome. You left the, this job that most people in the world would, you know, Give their right arm for yeah, it? Yeah, I was going to say hit a pedestrian, <laughs> n- name it, right? Do something to, to have that job. And you kind of just woke up one day and said, yeah, you know what? That's it's a good job, but I'm just going to go do the, the really smart thing and be an entrepreneur and, and kind of throw all that aside. Like, why, why would you do that? So it wasn't woke up one day. It was more <laughs> woke up for, you know, six weeks beforehand, every night at 3 a.m. thinking, am I insane for wanting to do this? And I think <laughs> the, the answer, what was the answer that you told yourself? <laughs> Maybe a little. <laughs> okay, fair so, enough. And I think probably the, I don't know, umpteenth time I woke my husband up next to me and said, do I, should I do this? Is it irresponsible? Am I crazy? He was finally like, you already know the answer. That's why you keep waking me up. You just need to go in there and do it. You already know the answer. Come on. You're just trying so, to rationalize it at that point. Well, I was scared. Yeah. Right? It's, it's a very scary thing to leave a place where you know how it works. You love the people you're working with. Great people. And they're great, great people. people. And you know just how the system works and you're, you can get things done and you're already effective in that role. And by the way, it's, it's cushy, right? They're yeah. paying you well. They, yeah, it's, an, it's a very nice place to work. And you're thinking to yourself, am I insane to want to leave this? And what's wrong with me to where I even am thinking about this? But you know, I'd been there for eight years and it got to the point where I had to ask myself, am I a lifer or not? Mm-hmm. And is there more that I want to be doing with my time and, and you know, learning basically and what do i what do i actually want out of kind of this next phase of life in these next few years yeah what, what did you feel like what did you feel like was missing i imagine there are a lot of people learning. who were feeling that same way so like what Dense, was it difficult learning so okay. i like to operate in the yellow 
right? Not in the green <laughs> Me too. where it's comfortable, not in the red where I feel like <laughs> I have no idea what the hell I'm doing, but in the yellow yeah. where it's uncomfortable, but not so much so that it's, it's tortuous, totally. just where you feel like you don't know what you're going to get that week. You don't know what you're going to need to learn and you don't already have all the skills to do your job well. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt like at that point it had been a while since I operated in the yellow. And so it was, it was time to stretch and to press myself more. Okay, so there's there's that, and there's there's recognizing that you want to do something new, but then there's like starting you, the actual well, starting the actual thing and, yeah. and knowing what you want that to be, yes. and believing that that's a good thing. Yes. It's like, how did that work? How did that happen? So um, I basically was selling Google Analytics Premium for the first time, and I never sold anything in my life. Maybe some Girl Scout cookies when I was nine. I bet you're pretty good at sales. I my limited knowledge. I bet you. I like people, but I didn't understand the whole process. So I thought it would be fast to, to sell some of this. Um, it was a $150,000 product, mm -hmm. and we wanted to stop telling people like GE, oh yeah, can you check our customer forums when you have that question? Because we don't have anyone to talk to you, right? <laughs> right. So um, we went to an executive review, and we basically, uh, I believe it was Larry at the time, he was insightful enough to think to himself, okay, well, you know, I need to know that there's actually a market here and people will actually buy this, so why don't you go sell the first 10 yourself? <laughs> All right, so I went back I and like I Larry, thought, Larry telling you, like Larry Page telling you, like go sell this thing to 10 different companies. Well, he wanted to know, yeah. is there a market here or not? Um, and it was either Patrick Pichette or Larry Page who said this, and yeah. I thought it was very insightful. And so I went back and I said, okay, well then we can sell these. I, I know there's a market here, I can do this. I thought it would take six to eight weeks. No, 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 no. Did not take six to eight weeks. It took six to eight months to sure. close the first one. And Those are big deals. Yeah, they're big deals. But I remember walking into the room with 19 Intel executives for the first of these meetings. And I just, I screwed it up, Kip. <laughs> I, uh, I wasn't prepared for it well enough. And I had been, you know, I was still running the, the whole product side of things. And yeah. so... I didn't prepare well enough. I prepared for three of the people out of the 19, which let me tell you was not enough. And I didn't even no. have pictures with those three. So I didn't even know which of the three were actually the three I'd prepare. You're like, for. Janet, Janet, The whole where thing are you? is just bad. And you work at Google, right? So you're yeah. supposed to know this stuff about people. People, people I imagine hold you to a little slightly higher standard. Well, they should. Yeah. Because you know where to get the information. Totally. So long story short, it came to the point where I just, I figured there must be something to help people with this who have mm -hmm. a lot of external meetings with other people that they don't already know. That's everybody in sales, corp dev, biz dev, et cetera. So how can this not exist? And I tried everything that there was on the market at that point, and I didn't find anything that particularly compelling. And so my, um, one of our co-founders, Matthias Rohl, who is our CTO and is phenomenal, was my dearest friend at Google the entire time I was there. And we've now been very, very kind of close friends for 11 years. And he and I had talked about starting something together a year prior to mm -hmm. that. And we've been playing around with different ideas. And it just it was very clear that this did not exist yet and needed to exist. And one day we were having dinner and Matias says, hey, were you still thinking that we should start something? And I said, <laughs> well, yeah. He's like, okay, well, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a great catalyst. Okay, let's do that now. Okay, I'm ready, I'm ready. Um, and I, I yeah. That the rest is, is history for us. I guess the other the follow-up question that is like, why why you two? Like, and why that problem? Do you feel like you had unique skills to solve that problem, or do you feel like you just cared and were passionate enough about it that it was going to work its way out? I think it was both, okay. and I I think it was good that it was both. And we have a third co-founder, um, yep. Ryan McDonough. And he, here's the thing: is if you look at what a company is at its most basic kind of form, it is also a data platform. 
right? Sure. So all the people we know about, all the companies we know about, that's a massive data problem to solve. And like, who better to solve it with than Matthias, yeah. right? I, because when we left, the Google <laughs> Analytics backend was what, 100 billion hits per day? Because yeah. we were on over 70% of the entire web. So he's dealt with massive, complex data sets that need to be um, cleaned and clustered and all, all kinds of stuff, right. right? And he understands how to work at that kind of scale. So he's fantastic to have as a co-founder. Um, and I also, he's an ACM champion, so he won the ACM mm -hmm. his year. Um, which is like a, a massive coding competition. Um, and so he's an algorithms champion. And who better, again, to do that with? So he's a than, slight overachiever is what you're Yes, he's me. wonderful. <laughs> so, okay, so, so you had special special skills to go and tackle this problem. Yes, we and we felt like the thing that made Google Analytics magic mm -hmm. that really made it spread inside of an organization from one people to 10 to 50, et cetera, was we were bringing the insights to you, right? We didn't. We wanted to make sure it was fairly effortless. You put a JavaScript on your page, and then all of this reporting and insight just comes out of that. And right. you don't have to sit there and cut and, and self-serve and figure out exactly which reports in every single angle. We wanted to bring that to you so that it was delivered to you. Sure. And it's the same concept with a company where I don't want you to have to lift a finger. We should do the heavy lifting for you. We should bring it to you. The insights on top of that are yours, sure. but the basic stuff that you would have to run around and hunt and peck for and gather up, we should have done that all for you. That's the whole point of a virtual chief of staff. Sure, right? sure. So when you're, you're starting a company, you, you decided you were gonna go out and raise some capital. Yep. Tell everybody what's that like, what that's like, because there, there are people who are, are doing that right now for the first time they're listening to this, and there are people who are gonna have to do that over the next year or two. Like, what's that process like? You hear, you read articles, you, you hear all these things, but what is it really like firsthand? Well, it's freaking scary, <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Because, um, you know, you're, you're kind of being judged, your idea is being judged, it's Absolutely. your baby, right? You're, you're having to go out and ask for this money. It's not a comfortable process, it's not a pleasurable process. We, I, you know, and I, I think the key point here is to raise long before you race. So one of the things that I had talked about at this Greylock event the other night was, if you start those relationships well ahead of when you will need them, it will make it so much easier for you. It's just like anything else, right? Yeah. But if when you start to have the inkling of the idea, you start to meet different investors, and you have to figure out how to get intros to these investors, and you scrap around, and you wanna know what does this person look like under duress? Yeah. What, are they, what are they gonna look like when I need them to actually be a steady hand for me? And that's what you can't figure out kind of in you know, a very short amount of time. You kind of need those relationships so people have that trust to tell you the stories. Sure. So I would say you gotta invest as soon as you know you're going to wanna raise money. And it is, there is some, some time in there where it doesn't directly translate to, ah, oh, my exact fundraising activities. But again, that's an investment of time. You know, raising money and, and building out your network uh, which was something like you were you prioritized as part of building the company. You, you made another strategic decision, which was interesting to me, which was you raised capital, and instead of rushing a product to market, you held a product in kind of a beta phase for a while. Like it's, I think it's still in beta. I'm using it. I, I'm enjoying it, but I think it's still limited to a pool of people. Like, why did you decide to make that decision? I think when you're asking people for their calendar access and the to from date field of their email, not their entire email. It's a high bar, right? And you're asking yeah. them for their contacts in order to serve them properly. It's a high bar. And you really have to make sure that the systems are ready and that you've got the data coverage in order to make it a fantastic experience. 
because things like this have been tried before. And if you don't have the coverage so that most of you know the searches people perform and a very high number, a very high percentage of the people on their calendar have photos and have rich information, it's just not worth it for them to use it. And so I felt like the bar needed to be held kind of highly and that we needed to, to be there before we asked people to really kind of come on board and start using it as their calendar. And we did alpha test with a bunch of people like Lori Norrington, who are who's on your show. I love Nori. She Lori, is amazing. fantastic. But they are demanding users. They have high standards. I was going to say that. No like, you time. A, all your early users were very high profile, in the weeds of technology, know what good technology and is. And will kick your ass if you were doing something and stupid. So, and so did they, is <laughs> yes, my question. And in what ways did they? So, you know, I, I would get emails and the team could always tell if I'd gotten a slew of emails that morning because I'd come in looking really dejected or really kind of stressed out because we would have sent out an executive briefing and we would have changed the, the format that morning, right? Mm -hmm. You've gotten these, yeah. they're the emails. And people would respond and say, I really hate this, and this sucks, and you did this wrong, and this came in badly, and it came in two hours late, and what the hell is going on? And I'd come in and I'd be like, oh, I just had the crap kicked out of me this morning. And they did that for us so many times, where we put something out, we'd email all of them and say, this is going out, could you please kick the tires on it and let us know what sure. you think? And they'd come back with a slew of super helpful feedback. And that happened repeatedly every week, every two weeks, and so we would just keep on honing and honing and honing with them. Why do you think they kept giving you such good and consistent feedback? Is that because you did something with it? Because they needed okay. it's the product. They, needed it, you think. they okay. need the product and they use it kind of consistently. Sure. And I, I also think one of the big things is to express gratitude and to mm -hmm. actually do something with that advice, right? If you can show people, we so appreciated it, here's what we did with it, and here's the change that we made as a result. Sure. Yeah, then they feel like, okay, so my time that I took to give you this advice actually made a difference and it is actually helping. Great. And it's helping not just me, but it's helping other and people. And yes, it's helping the whole base of users. Great. Then I'm in. Okay. So you, you, the way I look at the app that you've built is you're kind of, you're basically building a kind of a, a, a graph off of your Google Calendar, Google email data in a way that is probably more representative of what's important to you and who's important to you. Yeah, than than something like LinkedIn or or traditional graphs that maybe you've built over the years and are and are stale. Like, how'd you end up there, and like, how's that working in practice? Is that act actually the right source of information as you guys have been building out everything? I'm I think curious. you have to. So, if you're going to be helping someone in a chief of staff-like manner, yeah. you have to have their context. You have to know who's actually becoming more important to them, who's actually kind of coming into their day or their week or their month that they need to know about ahead of time, right? All of that mm -hmm. context in terms of your interaction and communication patterns needs to be there if I'm gonna serve you at that level. Um, and so I absolutely think that it's the right information to, to be getting. Yeah, and you talked a little bit earlier about you know your co-founder, his experience in algorithms. Like, what strikes me is that the algorithm that recommends people and determines how important the people are in any graph, like the one in a company, or whether it be the Facebook newsfeed, whatever it may be, or is like that's one really difficult and two really important. So, what have you guys that's learned? That's why it's nice to have a Matthias there. <laughs> what, we, what, what have you learned? What have you learned in in figuring it out? Like just general lessons of like, man, was it harder than you thought? Like, what you what you learn? Okay, yes, it was harder than we thought. Um, almost everything is, though. I tend totally. to be an optimist. Like, oh, no, 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 that'll take two weeks, right? And uh, it doesn't. Yeah. So I do think that heuristics instead... So everyone says, 
okay, we need AI. We need to go straight into to machine learning. Sure. And I think, yes, there there is a place for that after you reach the 80, 90% level and you need to tune the system to continuously learn. Absolutely. But I really think you can get the first 80%, sometimes in some cases, the first 90% of the way there with something that is iterative, but more heuristic and algorithms based. And so I would encourage people to, to do as much as they can in as kind of simple a fashion as they can, and then begin layering on some of the more difficult and complex methods. When you say when you say simple, like in the early days of when you were putting this, like, okay, we have a PhD like, in, in math right. and CS doing this for us. So exactly. I'm not saying simple as in mathematically simplistic right. or algorithmically Correct. simplistic, but I am saying that not everything has to start with ML and AI. It may sure. need to end up sure, sure, sure. there, but it doesn't necessarily need to start there. Makes sense. You're still in beta. You're still, you still seems like you're learning from the user base. When it, what's, what's the thing that's gonna say, hey, you know what, this is ready for everybody? You know, I think this is a qualitative call as okay. much as it is a quantitative call. When, I've, when we start hearing from users that it just is so worked into the fabric of their daily lives. They can't live without it in a widespread way where it's, it's you know, the vast majority of users. Then for sure we'll know. But sometime yeah. before that even, we'll know it's time to pull the trigger. And I don't think it's that far off. What do you measure to know that that's successful, like more tactically? Oh, you measure the hell out of every aspect <laughs> of engagement. You should see how many charts we have. Um, but are the core parts of the app where engagement you think matters more? Like how should, how should people think Think about that as they're as they're building out stuff. So I think there's the quantitative and the qualitative piece. So um, obviously you're optimizing your sign up flow, you're optimizing your onboarding to make sure that people a don't leak out of the sign up funnel and and just you know kind of bail out of there. And then b you're looking at okay, well do they get the offering right away? What can we do to bring forward the value to them more and more quickly? Right. So there's those pieces. And then in terms of the engagement, I mean we're watching obviously the overall retention, the overall engagement. And it doesn't really matter if the user engages on web, if they engage on mobile, or if sure. they engage on the email briefings. Any, you know, whatever works for you best, yeah. that's fine. Makes so sense. we're looking at cross-channel engagement, but we're looking micro, we're looking at micro engagement in terms of features as well, yeah. right? Because I want to figure out which, which arrows should we put more wood behind and which ones do we just need to kind of chuck and say, okay, let's call it on that and we're not going to spend any more time on that. And the qualitative layering on top of that is always talking to customers. So carving out enough time from everybody's schedule that they are calling on customers every single week. How do you do that? Like you yourself even, like you're getting beat up with all of these emails in the morning, people mad about the changes, changes you make. But I'll call them, I will pick up the phone <laughs> and I will call them and I will ask them, okay, you said this, what did you mean by this? Can you tell me more about that, right? And what you're really looking for there is the specificity and the motivation behind what they're I'm looking doing. for the why. Okay. Because I, I don't just want to understand what you said you wanted. I want to understand why you want that because there are different ways to skin a cat, mm -hmm. right? And just because this one suggestion is not the right way to do this particular thing does not mean that the why is not being felt by a large part of the user base. So I, I always want to know what is the why behind it. Okay, you just talked about listening a lot to your customers. So I think there's the classic example here of there's some things you want to really listen to your customers about yeah. and there's some things that you 
the Henry Ford and, yeah, and the, the, faster the, horses. I think the most modern example is Zuckerberg with the newsfeed. And when, you know, 10 years ago when he did that, people hated it. And now it's like a core germane part of that experience. It's like, how do you know when to make a decision for that community versus listen to them? Isn't that the classic question, though? And isn't that the it differentiator is. between kind of a good product manager and a great product manager? Yeah, I but feel you're like, a great product manager, so you should tell us. Well, that remains that. to be seen. Um, <laughs> I don't know about but that. But I, I feel like this is one of those things where you have to start to listen to your gut a bit more. As, as you have more and more years of experience and your intuition gets honed, listening to it. So, you know, if there is something that is on your mind right before you fall asleep, and if that same thing is on your mind when you wake up, or if you wake up in the middle of the night, you know, it's on your mind, you know, you know something that your gut is trying to tell you is not making it through yet to your head, and you need to listen, and you need to stop and give yourself an hour of space or however long you need. Yeah. But in, you know, some an amount of minutes of space to just say, oh, what is that? Because something's not sitting right. And we all have that feeling. It's just we're so busy that from the moment we wake up in the morning, we're just, you know, you go, you go, you go. But if you have that feeling, you need to stop and listen to it for a little bit and give it a little bit of space to speak to you because it's, you already know something. You're just not listening. And I imagine you often juxtapose that with the problems that you're hearing from people. And it's not that you're not listening to their, to their problems. It's just... How you're coalescing. You, that they want it solved isn't actually probably the, maybe the best way to solve it sometimes. Yes, yes. And the and what's the common why mm-hmm. among all these people? So if you get on the phone with let's say five people for fifteen minutes each, right? Yeah. Then at the end of the the fifth person, you'll start to hear patterns emerge, and then you know, ah, okay, that's actually the problem. It's not these specific things they're saying. It's that the data quality is not high enough and it's manifesting itself as, oh, this specific person was wrong. This was the wrong news, a wrong profile about them, et cetera. Talk to me for a second about hiring. You know, it strikes me when you're really early stage in a company, getting that team right and getting the right skills is critically important as I think most people listening would, would, would realize, but it's like, how in practice do you actually do it? Like how, how did yeah. you do it? So I got really lucky. My, um, there's a man named Alex on our team and he's our program manager and Mm -hmm. he runs all of our hiring programs. He and I worked at Google together for three years before he came with us to do a company. And because Alex and I know each other so, so well, um, and because he believes so strongly in the company, he sells it better than anyone, (laughs) probably better than I do. um, That's my guess. And he just feels really passionately about it. And that passion comes through. So I think, the reason he has such a high open rate on his recruiting emails and such a high rate of having people actually come in to meet with us and talk to us is they feel his passion and his sincerity. And so whoever is the first point of contact with those candidates needs to feel that level of commitment towards the company because it shows. And people can, they can hear it. They can sniff it. They can see it. And I think that's made all the difference. Because when I was doing a lot of the recruiting by myself, I did not have the same success rate Alex did. So, so you were on your... Of, the, of your first public company board at 35, most people don't even know what public company boards are, let alone like how you get on one of these. Things. I didn't either until. So like, <laughs> like. Tell well, me, actually, Aileen Lee just happened. mentioned a bunch of us in an article she wrote, and the recruiter saw us from there. So again, it came back to the network. Yep. That's how it happened, and she just she did that out of kind of the kindness of her heart, mentioning all these folks that she thought should be considered, right. and it was one of those things where. It just, yeah, that's where they picked it up from. And it was serendipity. But serendipity doesn't happen if people don't know your work exists and they aren't, yeah. you know, willing to help vouch for you. So that it goes back to that investment of time 
in getting to know people and just if if you have a, a love of people and you actually like them people will sense that and they'll sense your curiosity and they'll sense that oh okay well you know you just want to get to know each other great <laughs> what if you don't have a love of people there are so there are introverts out there what should those people but do but a lot of introverts i think it's not that they don't have a love of people right it's yeah. just where They're do you get your energy people. from yeah. so you have to be deliberate about how you manage your energy and how yeah. what percentage of your time you spend with people sure. versus don't but you know i think like Beth Comstock is a great example. She's an introvert, but she does love people. Sure. You strike me as somebody who, in talking with you, is really good at communicating and being passionate about what you do without being slimy or over-promotional, which I think is like the classic like extrovert like right. knock, right? It's like, right. oh man, this person, they're okay at what they do, but man, they, everybody thinks they're great at it because they just, they market themselves, and they market what they do really, really great. And that doesn't strike me as you, but I think, you still make sure that people are aware of the work that you're doing. It's like, how do you how do you find that balance? Maybe it's not something you've ever thought about, but I don't know. I, I actually, I, I have to admit, the thing I most enjoy is working on the product with the internal team. So if you ask me if I had my druthers, how I would spend every day, that's how I would spend it. And I actually did the analytics on my calendar when I was leaving Google to see what percentage of my activities were still user-facing and actually produced product that ended up in the hands of users. And it was too low a percentage to me to actually be how I wanted to be spending my weeks and my months and my years. If, if it's something to where you feel like as an obligation to the team, people need to know about it, well, then as a CEO, you're obligated to learn how to talk about it. And you may not enjoy it necessarily, sure. but you need to learn to do what you've got to do for your team. And even if that's not how you would choose to spend your time in a kind of uh, macro sense, right? You're going to have to figure out, well, what percentage of my time do I have to carve out to do that? And then you just got to do it. Yeah. And I, I think the more you have help telling the stories, the easier it becomes. So we actually had, you know, Chip Heath, for example, mm -hmm. come in and help with messaging and storytelling because we're a little bit nerdy as a team and we were telling the story in a, in a somewhat overly nerdy way. I mean, as, as the marketer in this room, you're a little little short on the marketers and you're, cause you, or you're all in on the product and you're still in beta and you're trying to figure this thing out. Like so many companies out there and I think it's good perspective on your part to know that you've got to- We needed help. Ra so. Raise your head up and, and, and get that perspective as well. So to, to kind of finish everything up here, I think what's fascinating to me about the, the adventure that you're on is that there are a lot of people I think who start a company with the envision that it's going to be this this quick and easy and satisfying journey. And it seems like you set out with the fact of knowing that it was going to be a long, long journey and a painful journey and not the easy way out by any means. Like three years in, is it what you expected? And what would you tell other people who are getting ready to embark on that same journey? I don't, yeah, I don't think we expected it to be quick or easy. <laughs> we did expect to enjoy it along the way. Which and you have, it seems We like. are, but the highs are high and the lows are low, right? <laughs> that, totally. That's always true. Um, and I would say if you are trying to build a data platform, if you are actually trying to build a product that can last and be a standalone product and company and something where there's longevity to it, then you do have to create something that has some differentiated barrier to entry or advantage, right? There has to be a moat sure. of some sort. 
moats do not, they don't come overnight. You got to dig that not. thing and <laughs> pour concrete in that thing and fill it with water. It doesn't happen overnight, right? It takes time. And so that's why we raised what we raised in order to give us the space to build the platform. Yeah, that's a, one last question actually. It's like you raised a real amount of capital very early on in the process. And so you, you valued that moat and you valued the idea enough to take on that kind of investment. Why? Like that, that, like that's, a, that's an aggressive thing to do. It, it strikes me a lot of uh, entrepreneurs wouldn't do that. Well, it's scary to do. Um, right. So I, I don't, if, if there are entrepreneurs out there who are debating whether or not to do it, I don't, I don't think that it helps them to think, oh, these, you know, all these other people who raised a lot of capital at the beginning weren't scared. And of course, we were also scared. <laughs> Fair enough. So don't, don't, um, don't in any way doubt yourself because you're scared. I think it's a good thing to be scared because it is, it does raise expectations, right? And it sure. does mean that you will feel the pressure while you're not launching. And every month people ask you over and over again, when are you launching? When are you launching? It's everybody's favorite question <laughs> to ask you when you're not out yet. And um, it's a pain in the ass to answer, right? So, cause you're, you're kind of saying, oh, well, blah, 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 blah. and nobody really wants to hear the long answer. They just want you to give a date and you're not ready to give a date. And so, yeah, all of that, you can kind of expect and you can prepare yourself for, but it doesn't make it any less a pain in the ass daily when you're dealing yeah. with it. But again, if you want to have that platform, it's going to take time to get right. And so you raise the capital in order to have the runway and the space to do it. Really impressive to have the vision early enough along in the business and the process to know the runway that you're going to need. I think that's, that's not an easy thing to do. So congrats on having the foresight to actually... It, it wasn't that. actually my foresight. Um, we had a few advisors, Lori among them, who were the ones who helped make this clear, and we just decided to listen to them. But it was it was they who were really helpful with this, and again kicked our asses on it. Well, very, very fitting that we close the conversation with another example of how great people, when you surround yourself with them and listen to them, can help you accomplish great things. Thanks, Thanks for your time Kim. today, Amy. Appreciate it.